Hello and welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast. This is a podcast about the church and for the church. I'm Connor, here with Mike, and we also are joined by special guest Tanner today. So Tanner's always in the room with us, helping us record the podcast, but uh, Tanner, excited to have you uh, with us today as well. So let's um, let's just get right into the the topic of the podcast today. Mike, you've um, you just mentioned that there's a question that people have been asking you from different angles recently. Um, what is that question? All right. Well, the question, it's interesting that this question has probably been asked of me maybe, I would say maybe more than any other question in 38 plus years of, of pastoral ministry. And it's, it's, um, it's one of those questions very personal, but it affects other people. But it's really, what, what does real repentance look like? Like, what, how do I know if I'm really repenting of my sins? How do I know that I'm, I'm, you know, doing, I, I'm basically responding the right way in light of my own sins? And I think that that shows a tenderness because when someone asks the question, what does real repentance looks like? It's because they're yearning to really repent. There's a quote that I uh, came across uh, by John Bunyan, and here's what it says. The difference between true and false repentance lies in this. The man who truly repents cries out against his heart, but the other as Eve against the serpent or something else. So I think it's a good question. It's one that kind of, you know, asks for some comfort in the sense of it's a, it's a believer asking this question. Unbelievers don't ask this question. How do I know if I've really repented? What does real repentance look like? And when someone's asking that, they're in a tender-hearted stance, right? That's, right. That's, so anyway, so that's that's the question. Can you unpack the quote more? I, I think it's helpful, but it's you know maybe a little old Englishy, and maybe can you take another pass at it and try to just unpack what what he's saying? Absolutely. Thank you for uh, asking for some clarification. Uh, John Bunyan. So he's the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress and many other things, but he's well known, best well known for that. The difference between true and false repentance lies in this. The man who truly repents cries out against his own heart. It's the idea, you know, of the tax collector saying, Lord, have mercy on me, the, the sinner, right? And the Pharisee going, I'm glad I'm not like that person over there. Um, the real person who's repenting is crying out against their own sin. They're not blaming anyone else, mm-hmm. okay? They're not pointing the finger at anyone else. They're, they're poor in spirit. They know they're bankrupt apart from Christ. They know they're in need of forgiveness. So the man who truly repents cries out against his heart, but the other as Eve against the serpent, like blaming the devil or something else, even Adam, where he says, well, my the woman you gave me, God, she gave me this and I ate. And so the idea is that when you truly repent, you blame no one but yourself and you run to it. You run to Christ and to the cross and to the gospel truth and you don't make excuses for your sin. Hmm. I, um, maybe either of you can jump in on this one, but just a question in terms of clarifying. The word repentance is used in both Old and New Testament. I think it's just specifically the New Testament in the in the sense of like the initial turning of someone to Christ, right? And Jesus preaches repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So is there a distinction that you draw or is it a similar kind of action maybe between that first act of repentance when you're calling an unbeliever, hey, you need to repent and trust in Christ? compared to the ongoing reality in a believer's life? Because we would say that believers have to have a lifestyle characterized by mm-hmm. repentance. Is, can you flesh that out at all? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Well, Martin Luther said it this way, uh, when God willed 
the Christian life. He willed that it would be one of, you know, ongoing total repentance. And Jesus himself said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And the idea is that repentance, when, when, when the call to repent, it's repent and keep repenting. Kind of like, uh, this is a, you know, maybe a really bizarre sounding cross-reference, but in, in 1 Timothy 3.1, where it says, if a man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he aspires to do. The desiring is not a one-time desiring. Um, it is a, you wake up every day still wanting to be an elder, if you're an elder, okay? And that would be male eldership, according to the Bible, um, that you aspire. And just like when you tell your wife, you told your wife, she, both Tanner and Connor, you told your wife you loved her before and, and, and during the ceremony of your wedding. And you've told her many times since then, but you've not just told her, but you've shown her. I think that um, that repentance, when it is real, when it is true, it does characterize the Christian life, just like faith does. Yeah, it's helpful. It's helpful. What is? Uh, let's let's try to see if we can start to maybe just put some more handles on this. You know, we're talking about real repentance. What does it look like? Um, yeah, Tanner, maybe I'll turn to you. Just just get us started. When you think of somebody's when you and, and you can think of somebody that you've seen you know this happen in their life you can think of your own life but what is it what does it look like you know kind of uh smell like when you when you see somebody who's really repentant what is that what comes to your mind first uh let me just pass it to you open-ended and yeah go ahead and see you know where you'd go sure i guess to address the so what does it smell like question uh, if it's offensive to me it's an offensive smell when you know you're not living in a way that is honoring and glorifying Christ, especially if you're professing him, if you're a professing believer and you know your life isn't matching up, that should be offensive and that should be something that is convicting. It should be gut-wrenching, um, whether it's because you you know, weren't loving and understanding with your spouse or because you weren't um, a good father to your children or whether even even in the church or out in public you misrepresented christ by how you behave you know there the examples are endless but um i think scripture makes a pretty distinct delineation between being convicted and feeling guilty um that when it comes to you know the 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 worldly uh conviction and guilt versus the the desire to repent and turn and then the the understanding that you are grievously wrong there's no way to sugarcoat it there's no way to downplay it the best thing to do is just admit yeah i didn't just goof up but i i sinned i have done something that is either offensive to my lord or to my fellow believer um, and there should be a desire, like that characteristic, I think the defining characteristic then is the desire to then be restored to proper and good fellowship with, with the Lord and, and with your fellow man as well, being quick to apologize and repent. And even, even in the word, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is a military term to about face and turn, you know, 180 degrees. Um, it's something we're expected and commanded to do. And it's something we should want to do as believers to turn from our sin and then instead turn towards Christ, to lean on Christ, to throw ourselves at Christ, knowing that he is quick to forgive and offer those tender mercies. And I think that's, 
that is a big defining difference between repentance that initially saves us and continuing on as a believer. That that position changes. Yeah, that's helpful. No, thank you, Tanner. By the way, for the podcast listeners, I got some funny looks when I asked what it smells like. So uh, let the record <laughs> state <laughs> that Mike and Tanner thought that was a funny way to phrase the question. I was just saying, what is it? The aroma. The you aroma. know, what is it? It's like, you know, when the dish comes by your table and you're like, mm, what's that? What is repentance? How do you mm. know when it's real repentance? You know, what mm. does it look like? So, Mike, let me ask you this. Um, well, let me let me make a statement that I'll ask. Uh, it, I, I would say 2 Corinthians 7 is the mo- it's probably the most extended treatment in the New Testament that I can think of of yeah. what it looks like to repent and and the dynamics that kind of come in with that. So mm-hmm. maybe can can you actually take us there maybe read a section and then begin to explain maybe from that what are some of those marks of yes. true repentance? Absolutely. So um, I've got my Bible open to 2 Corinthians 7. We knew we were going to go here and you know, you bottom line it and there's a lot of comfort in Christ and joy in Christ, even after excruciating pain. And what Paul was getting at is that he had caused some pain to the church by calling out their sin, calling out their lack of of dealing with sin. And so they needed to repent and they needed to call someone else to repent. And he, he talks about them being grieved into repenting. Okay. So he says, I'm rejoicing. Not that you were grieved, but you were grieved into repenting. And we're in verse 9 there in, in 2 Corinthians 7. Because he said, you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Like, it was all good. It was, it was a net, net gain, net positive. Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. And the idea there is that the godly grief produces something really good, and it produces eagerness to clear yourselves does not mean justifying your actions. It means we were wrong. We need to be, you know, bowing before Christ and confessing our sins. Indignation, we are indignant at ourselves, at our sins. Going back to Bunyan's quote, you cry out against your own heart. What fear, they had fear of God. What longing? They had longing to be right with God, longing to do what is right and for righteousness to dwell and to reign. What zeal? The idea of let's let's do the right thing now. And what punishment? Like, let's punish our own sin first. Right. Let's deal with this. And I think this goes along with what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 3, 8, bear fruits worthy or in keeping with, going along with repentance. So what we have to be clear about is that repentance isn't a work. It's like Romans 2.4 tells us, it's granted by God. God in his kindness grants repentance, just like he grants faith. So faith and repentance, you could kind of call them different sides of the same coin. I don't know if that's a good example or not, but repentance is not a work. It is um, something that God gives a believer, and there's there's fruit that comes out of it. So, you, you know, repentance means you turn, it's a change of your mind, you turn, like he says, about face. You turn from your sin, and faith is turning to God. So repentance is turning away from your sin. Faith is turning towards Christ. And so they're linked to conversion. I mean, um, it's it, it, repent and believe. And when it says believe, it, 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 it uh, assumes repentance. Uh, note that, uh, that what, um, excuse me, I said Jesus said it. It was John the Baptist 
clicked in my head. John the Baptist said, in John bear 3. fruits, keeping in repentance. So I want to, uh, someone's already probably caught me on that. We can either cut that out or we can keep on going on this. You have a lot of work to do on this podcast here, Tam. <laughs> so uh, John was saying bear fruits in keeping with repentance, but it's not a work. It, it's the idea of, of a, a change of mind that God grants and it has fruit. What is it? And, and some of these fruits, uh, what does it say in verse 11 there, 2 Corinthians 7? What earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Okay, so it's producing some fruit. And what is it? Uh, eagerness to clear yourself. That's confession of sin. Indignation. That's grief and, and pain over sin and hating your sin. Fear of God. Longing to do what is right. Zeal for righteousness. And punishment, the idea that um, there is, you know, a lot of times you, you want to make things right, and there's things you need to do to make things right. And you just say, what is it that I need to do? Uh, and, and think it through and ask the Lord and maybe get some wise counsel, but then go do it without any reserve. You know, just, you just let the repentance flow. You don't manage repentance. Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. basically, you don't say, you know, I'm going to do this, this, but I'm going to protect this and that. No, it's, I'm just... I have to confess my sins and put myself on the mercy of others that know better than me. Right. Yeah. Could let the chips fall where they will. Yeah, yeah. You don't manage your own repentance. That's good. I think, tell me if this is true and either of you can jump in with thoughts. Eagerness to clear yourself, mm-hmm. eagerness to clear yourself. That would, yeah. that would mean that you're eager to return to a place of righteous standing in the fellowship of the church. Is that right? And maybe to confess as well, clear yourself yeah. in the sense of you're bringing that out, but, but you're wanting to, you know, you wanting to act in a way that is righteous, including yes. the confession of sin and in the case of the church. Because yes. I think this is, we often take this this section to be very individual, but it's actually written to the entire church. Yeah. And especially that word punishment. I think what Paul is saying is you as a church have responded, you know, from the place of godly grief with appropriate punishment mm-hmm. towards the sins that have been committed, you know, in the case of the unrepentant uh, sexual sin that was going on in Corinth, most likely. So the yeah. church collectively has responded with this desire of, oh my goodness, we've completely, we've blown it. We've let sin persist in, the, in our ranks. And now we want to, we're, we're humbling ourselves under God's hand and we just want to act righteously, yeah. no matter how painful that would be. Yeah, because where it says punishment, it's a word for vindicate, vindication even. The oh, idea is that you are basically saying, whatever it takes, no matter what the cost is to me, I'm not going to protect myself. That sin needs to be avenged, and it's under the blood. But you go back to the idea of clearing yourself. It's the idea that, that word "clear" is the idea of purity or holiness, right? I remember when I was a brand new believer, came to know Jesus. I was so blown away that God would save me, and I remember thinking to myself, "But everybody else is seeing me as an unbeliever. They see how I've acted." And I remember thinking to myself, "It's going to take time." Mm-hmm. for others to see that I truly have come to know Jesus. And this idea of clearing of yourself, you desire for the stigma that accompanies your sin to be gone. Hmm. Like that you have to, okay, I remember saying to myself, I'm going to need to regain a lot of people's trust. I've broken trust in so many areas. Well, the repentant sinner wants to restore the trust and confidence of others in them as a as a person, and, and what, how is that done? By making your genuine repentance known. How is that? By being repentant. I mean, the idea that you, you're indignant over your own sin. You, you're angry over your own sin, and you're displeased at the shame that you brought 
on the Lord's name and on his people. And then you have this fear of God. You have this reverence for God where your, your God is the one most offended by your sin. And real repentance is going to lead to a healthy fear of God. Um, and it, because he's the one who chastises us. He's the one who judges our sin. He's the one who judged our sin at the cross right. in Christ. Right.